The signing of Te Tiriti or Waitangi, or the Treaty of Waitangi in 1840, is seen as the founding of New Zealand, and despite its myriad of problems between how it was interpreted or what it was meant to say, there's one fact that remains, that for nearly 200 years the New Zealand government has been lying to the public about what actually happened that day. On February 6, 1840, the signing of Te Tiriti o Waitangi brought into creation a new country, New Zealand or Aotearoa. And there is a lot of debate and has been for many years around the intent, the meaning, the translation, all sorts of factors that come into play around trying to sort out and settle issues that have arisen with that treaty. And I am not going to be going into those today. I'm not an expert, and it's not fair for me to sit there and plant my point of view on a document that old that I don't know anything about. I mean, it doesn't stop people like these racist assholes doing the same thing, but I'm not them. This video is around what actually happened on that day and the lead up to it. Because we've been lied to for almost 200 years about what actually went down the day that the treaty was signed. We have to go back a few years before that. 1836, William Hobson, yes that William Hobson, was in the country investigating reports of lawlessness amongst the British migrants that had shown up there. His review basically came up with a recommendation saying what they should do is set up like little pockets of settlements within New Zealand that was under British rule, kind of a model that Canada was based on, but one that also respected the tangata whenua at the time. But Britain being Britain did what Britain in the 1800s did really well and said, you know what, fuck it, it's mine, I'll take it all. The government of Britain put forward something called letters of patent, instructions to one of their smaller governments to go and do something. In this case, it was letters of patent to New South Wales saying, yo, dog, time to expand that territory. On August 14, 1839, William Hobson was called in front of the government and told, okay, we're going to make you consul of New Zealand and you're going to do these three things for us. The first is you're going to get the Māori to give up the sovereignty of the land. Second, you're going to find a way to sort out land disputes between Māori and English. Third, you're going to set up some sort of government. Okay, what are you waiting for? Go do it. Go. Shoo. Because that was pretty much the conversation. He was given three instructions and no idea on how to go about making this happen. There's no way to know what was going through Hobson's head at the time. He had recommended some kind of smaller co-governance structure between Tangata Whenua and the settlers and that was kind of pushed away. And the reason that it was pushed away is because the New Zealand Company, a privateering group of settlers, were just about to land their first settlement boats in the country, in which case it's kind of like what happens with coronavirus, it gets out, it spreads super fast and you've got no way of being able to control it. It was exactly the same issue that the British government felt they had, so they felt they had to step in and set it up as a full settled colonised New Zealand colony. Not a great way to go about doing things, but William Hobson did what he was told, he got on a ship and he went back to New Zealand. We're getting into the Bay of Islands on January 29th. He read out the proclamations basically saying, yeah, you're now part of New South Wales and I'm in charge. So guess what? We've got to do something about setting up a treaty. So here's William Hobson. He's just been sent to the other side of the world and had to tell everybody, guess what? We're taking your sovereignty. He's been given no instructions on how to go about writing this massive treaty to create this 
everything that they needed. And the way he went about trying to fix it was researching other older treaties in the hope of picking something up that was going to work for them. It was him and his assistant and missionary James Busby who wrote many drafts over three days, none of whom are lawyers. Basically, these were a group of people that were trying to fake it until they make it. But in the end, they came up with a document that even they thought was really problematic because they had no way of being able to see whether or not Māori would be able to interpret what sovereignty actually meant. So already you've got a whole bunch of issues. A document that was set up to found a country, written by people who aren't lawyers who don't really know what they're doing, trying to explain concepts that are foreign to a culture that has no need for them, and trying to get them to agree to do something that they really, really didn't believe in themselves. It's a really messy situation to be in. However, William Hobson did what he had to do. He gathered a whole bunch of local chiefs, and he gave them the sales pitch on the treaty. Now, he pitched this on February 5, and the whole idea was for it to take a couple of days, basically, for the chiefs to discuss, raise questions, work through any issues they've got, and make any amendments that they need to make. And in two days after that, the governor of New South Wales, George Gipp, was supposed to arrive and come in and ratify whatever it was that was agreed to. But that's not what actually happened on February 6. Now this is the part that we have been lied to for nearly 200 years about because we all have this image of what happened on that day. It's kind of ingrained in the collective psyche and it's basically been put there by artwork like this that showcases you know, big tents and lots of pomp and pageantry and everybody getting along and signing the document in a very official kind of way. But that's not what happened. And for 200 years, this has been the story that the government itself has perpetuated. Now, two things happened around the same time, about the crack of dawn on the morning of the 6th of February the 1st, was that Governor Gipps' boat showed up in the harbour, and it had been a really nasty voyage for them. They had a wind behind them, really rough seas, Governor Gipp had been sick from both ends for most of the journey. It was not a pleasant place to be anywhere near him. Secondly, the Joint Chiefs woke up William Hobson at the crack of dawn to get the document signed. What had initially been something that was supposed to happen over a couple of days happened overnight. And he couldn't find anything to wear really close at hand. It was basically a knock at the door, come on, we want to go sign this now. First thing he grabbed was his official hat, and that was it. Now, contemporary reports actually put in place him wearing possibly two different sorts of items of clothing. The first was his nightgown, that he signed the Treaty of Waitangi in a nightgown. The second was a dressing gown. Either way, he was still in his sleepwear when he founded the country. The next thing that had to be done was getting a very ill, incredibly smelly governor from the ship over to sign everything off. And he reeked. Nobody wanted to be around him while he ratified this particular piece of paper. So the big image that we see of this pomp and circumstance of the big tents and the bunting and massive events going into the signing of this treaty are completely false. It's a lie that was made up very soon after to try and promote this unity and project the power of the British Empire. Over the years, there have been official portraits that have been made up for this, there have been movies that have been commissioned about this, and there's been official documents that have been created to cover up the whole what actually happened. Because the idea of founding a country by a man in his sleepwear, somebody who couldn't help but throw up everywhere, and a whole bunch of people who didn't know what it was that they were signing, 
is not really a great look, but it is how Aotearoa New Zealand was founded. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to like, share and subscribe where you can learn a whole bunch of other random stuff like the time that a small town sold its name to a lingerie company or what the mysterious mystery is behind the mystery of Mystery Creek. Otherwise, feel free to tune in and listen to some of the other stuff that we've got. Check out the vlog or some of the strange short films that people seem to be enjoying for some weird reason. Until next time, kakite anō.